0: Well, good morning, Bethany Community Church. It is such a joy, such a joy to be here worshiping Jesus together with you. Uh, our family and I love this church. You are very, very special to us. It's been 12 years. 12 years ago, I was a pastoral intern here. How many of the faithful remnant remain? How many of you were here 12 years ago? Yeah, I see you. That's great. There's a remnant. a remnant. That's great. So we're thankful, so thankful to be here. You know, this is a special thing to have uh, churches in partnership together that do pulpit swaps. So Pastor Daniel Bennett is today at Newcastle Bible Church in McAdaw, and I get to come and uh, proclaim God's Word here. And we don't want to take that for granted, do we? That we live in a part of the world where there are so many like-minded, godly fellowships, local churches that are like-minded and in partnership and not in competition, but truly working together, praying for each other, encouraging each other for the glory of Christ among among our region and all around the world. And we don't take that for granted. I know at Newcastle, we pray often for you. I believe you also pray for other churches here on a regular basis. And I just want to say, praise God for that. Praise God. God for that church. We are so blessed. So many places around the world don't have that privilege. I just want to say glory to God for His kindness to us here in central Illinois. So it is such a gift to come and to open God's Word with you today and uh, to worship the King of Kings with you today. So I'd invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open it today to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Where we're going to discover today that the, to- the story of the Tower of Babel is far more than a children's story. I think this particular story goes very well with what you've been studying in First and Second Samuel about the covenant king. And so today we're going to consider whose kingdom am I living for. But before we read the text, I want to, I, I want to set the table. We've got to set the table, understand the context of Genesis. This is not going to work for me here. I've got a little bit of an issue, so I'm going to try this. You know, when you come to a new living room, you've got to figure out how the couch sits. So (laughs) bear with me. All right. So uh, let's set the table for what's happening in Genesis chapter 11 and these 10 chapters that had to come before. So in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God created everything good. Perfectly beautiful and good. And all was well in the garden until when? Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, sin, sin enters into the world. And the entire human race is led into the corruption of personal sin, death. And then you move along and you get to Genesis chapter 6 to 9. Do you remember what happens in Genesis 6 to 9? Sin has spiraled the entire human race downward until every intention of people's hearts were only evil always. And this grieves God so much that he cleansed the world with a global flood. He washes the earth, delivering his promised death to all of his image bearers who willfully refuse to love him and obey him in the garden. But Noah's story, the story of Noah in Genesis 6 to 9, is about more than just sin's judgment. The gospel according to Noah. Is a story of rescue. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of mercy. How God saves sinners from the judgment that their own sin deserves. So Genesis chapter 8 ends with Noah and his family being safely brought through the flood of God's judgment. They've exited the ark. They're now worshiping the God of their salvation. They receive a covenant from God or a promise from God that he will never again wash the entire earth in a global flood. Even the rainbow that we see in the skies today, after it rains, is still a sign of that promise of God's covenant with Noah and all of creation. And then you get to chapter 9, chapter 9 of Genesis, and verses 1 and 7 In Genesis chapter 9, God gives to Noah and his family the same creation mandate that he gave to Adam and Eve from the very beginning. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Noah and your family, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So as you read through chapters 9 and 10, it looks at first glance like that's what's happening. It looks like the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, are going out from the ark. And chapter 10 ends with verse 32 that says, these are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations and from these nations spread abroad upon the earth after the flood. So it seems like After the flood, Noah's descendants are actually obeying God's commands to fill the earth. But (laughs) there's three important literary parentheses or there's three important interruptions to Genesis 9, 10, and 11 that reveal that all is not well. All is not well with rescued humanity after the flood. In fact, the families of Noah are not living in obedience to God. First, the end of chapter 9 shows that Noah is getting drunk. And Ham dishonors his father, all to show us that the intention of human hearts is still evil. Even though they've been rescued from the flood, you would think that they would have such joy and such worship and such faithfulness to God, and yet they're still struggling with sin. So, Scripture's revealing this pattern right away from the very beginning, church. Man sins... God judges sin, but God mercifully brings rescue to those who believe in him. And then those who are rescued, sin. And God brings judgment and punishment to those who sin, but he mercifully rescues those who believe in him. And then those who believe in him, sin. And the cycle repeats, sin, judgment, mercy. Sin, judgment, mercy all showing us, church, how much you and I need Jesus. We need a Savior who can rescue us from the sinful slavery of our own hearts to give us a new heart, a new nature that truly beats for Jesus, a new heart that truly loves God. So in chapter 10, we discover the interruption of Nimrod's Rebellious kingdom. We're going to come back to that. And then verses 1 to 9 of chapter 11. That's our text today. Verses 1 to 9 of chapter 11. It's the final interruption. It's the final parenthesis in this table of nations from Noah to Abraham. And, it, and this text, the one we're going to look at in a moment, is revealing the backstory of how all the different languages and all the different nations came into existence through one family on the earth after the flood. So as we prepare to read now from chapter 11 of Genesis, remember, today's text is an interruption to the history of God's people on the earth. Therefore, very important, don't sleep right now. Today's text is not in chronological order. Chapter 11, verses 1 to 9, is a historical flashback. Moses, as he's right, is going back in time to explain the details of how the languages and how the nations all came into existence. After all, if you're reading in chapter 10... Three different times in chapter 10, he's talking about the languages and these various nations that they are spreading across in their own clans, in their own languages. So today's text goes back in time to explain how all these different languages and nations came into existence from one growing family on the earth. So with that background... I'd invite you to stand in honor of the public reading of God's Word. I'm going to read for us from the ESV translation, starting in Genesis 11, verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there, and they said to one another, come. Come. Let us make bricks. Let us burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord, Yahweh, came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, behold, They are one people, they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they now propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another in their speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispensed them over the face of all the earth. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's let's pray together for God's help as we meditate on this text. Father God. there is no God like you. You are king. We've sung about that, Lord. We've, we've already sung our prayer that you would be here, that you would come down. Just like you came down and looked at this tower that the men were building, I pray right now that you'd come down and look into my heart, look into our hearts, and that you'd cleanse us from living for our own kingdom. You cleanse us from our false worship, that you cleanse us, Father, from our pride and our fear and our idolatry. Oh God, please purify your church today through the preaching of your word. Please glorify yourself, for there is nothing more satisfying to our hearts than to behold your glory. Please, Father, lift yourself high and draw men to you, I pray. And all of God's people would say. Amen. Well, the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11 is far more than a children's story that you learn in Sunday school. Genesis chapter 11 is about worship, it's about fear, it's about pride. This chapter is a window into the sin that exists in my heart and your heart. This is a radiant display of how God's mercy triumphs, triumphs over spectacular sin and glorious mercy. This Old Testament story is surprisingly relevant for all of us today because it explains more than just the history of the nations. This history lesson challenges our purpose for living. This text asks us, what kingdom am I living for? You see, the main point of today's sermon is this. God mercifully tears down our own kingdom for the sake of his kingdom. God mercifully tears down the kingdom that we build in ourself for the sake of his better kingdom. Sin always causes our hearts to construct our own self-serving kingdom. But whatever sin builds, God's grace mercifully tears down. And this is not because God is some mean-spirited joy killer. No, in fact, just the opposite. God is a happy God. God is a happy God. And he knows that our own me-sized kingdoms... We'll never be able to fully satisfy our souls that He created to enjoy Himself. So whenever we begin to build our lives around ourselves, God employs a severe kind of mercy, a a disciplining mercy of deconstruction to save us from ourselves and redirect our way back into obedience and back into joy, the joy of living for His kingdom. So let's dive into the background of Babel by flipping back one chapter and going to Genesis chapter 10 and looking at verses 8 to 12 where we see the kingdom that is built by rebellion. Let me read these verses for us. Genesis 10 verse 8 says this, Cush fathered Nimrod and he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And it lists another bunch of other cities in the land of Shinar. Now notice this. Nimrod is the founder of Babel. In the scripture, Babel is most often translated as Babylon. So here... You can see that the great-grandson of Noah, so the grandson of Ham, was the king Nimrod. And Nimrod was responsible for building the first Babylon, as well as many other great cities in ancient times. So, throughout Scripture, Babylon represents pride. Babylon represents wickedness of sin. Babylon represents the epicenter of all false religion. And so that's no surprise, actually, when you understand that the name Nimrod actually means, literally, rebel. King Nimrod was a rebel. In fact, you see that phrase, before the Lord? It, it's, it's best translated against the Lord. <laughs> because Nimrod was the world's first known dictator. Dictator. Three times in these verses, they emphasize that Nimrod was a mighty man because he ruled with violence. He ruled with aggression. The word hunter does not refer to the hunting of animals. Don't make any mistake here. The word hunter refers to the hunting of men. This man was violent. This man was a slaveholder. This man was oppressive. This man was an aggressor. This was the first human dictator in human history. He's powering up against the Lord. He's making himself strong by violently forcing others to become enslaved to him. And through his reign of violent oppression and aggression, he's founding what is going to be known as the Babylonian Empire, first in the land of Shinar, and then he goes on to find to, to, to create or found all these major cities in the land of Assyria. Now, verse 10 is the first time in the Bible the word kingdom is used. But notice it's not referring to the kingdom of God, is it? Verse 10 is referring to the kingdom of man, a kingdom by man, of man, for man's glory. Babel is the kingdom that Nimrod built by rebellion. Oh, I wonder this morning, are there any Nimrods here among us right now? Are any of us fighting against Yahweh with all of our might? I got to sit in on, this, on the high school class this morning. They, they did the study of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel this morning in high school, right? That's another battle. I'm asking us, what battle are you fighting against the Lord yourself? Maybe. You're saying, I'll be like Nimrod. I'll take care of my own problems. I'll build my own kingdom. I'll raise my own support network. I'll make a name for myself in defiance of God's sovereign decrees. I'll live for my way or the highway. Friends, listen, please. God will mercifully tear down any kingdom that seeks to exalt itself against his good rule. After all, any kingdom that is built by rebellion is going to be a kingdom that is ruled by sin. And that's exactly what we find when we start reading in chapter 11. Go over to chapter 11 now. Verse 1 sets the stage. After the flood, all, there's complete unity among all the people on the earth, Right? The whole earth, verse 1, had one language and the same words. And of course, this makes sense when we understand that the entire human race started over after the flood with just four couples from the same family. So they had one language, the same words. Sometime after the flood, these descendants of Noah, under the direction of King Nimrod, they found a wide valley between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers in the land of Shinar, which is the Hebrew name. Shinar is the Hebrew name for the word Babylonia. And they settled there. They, they literally sat tight right there on that plain. Now, remember, what command did God give these four couples after they exited the ark? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But now, just three generations after the flood, we find Noah's family clustering. Not scattering, but clustering on a plane. In verse 3, they all say, come, let us make bricks. Let's burn them thoroughly. All right, we've got to pull the bus over a minute. See, when we read that, we don't think what the original readers would have... Who, who, wrote, who wrote Genesis? Moses. Uh, probably around 1400 B.C., 1405 B.C., Moses. Who was the original audience of Genesis? The Jewish people who had just been brought out of Egypt. Genesis was, was breathed out by God through the prophet Moses to the people as they're around Mount Sinai right after God had rescued them out of slavery to Egypt. So what do you think the original audience of this Text would have thought when they heard these words, Come, let us make bricks. Oh, they would have thought about Egypt. They would have thought about the oppressive slavery from which God had just rescued them. They knew far too well how to make clay bricks with tar that's bitumen, like asphalt for mortar. So, the sinful association of Babel's kingdom becomes even clearer in verse 4 when they say, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispensed over the face of the whole earth. Now, verse 4 is key. So, I want to unpack it carefully. Notice the intentions of Nimrod's kingdom here, they're given in two connected pairs. They desire to build a city so that they don't be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They want to build a temple tower so that they can make a name for themselves. Now, church, pay attention. I believe verse 4 reveals three sins that rule any person or any nation or any kingdom that seeks to defy the authority of Jesus. So as we walk through this verse, be humble enough to pray That God's Spirit would cleanse you from the inside out of these sins which so strongly oppose God, which cause us to fight against God and His gracious lordship in our lives. Babel's first sin was the sin of idolatry or false worship. So Nimrod's kingdom was seeking allegiance or loyalty to something that was outside of the lord we see this when the people cooperate to build a temple tower literally a tower with its head in the heavens in other words although this tower was tall the this phrase is not actually primarily about its physical height it's about spiritual worship see if they wanted to get tall they wouldn't have built on a plane at sea level There's mountains nearby they could have built a tower on top of that were several thousand feet higher. This isn't about physical height. This is about the heavens referring to a place where the God's little G lived. And since the Bible repeatedly traces all false religion back to Babylon, Genesis 11 is the first recorded biblical record of organized false religion. They're making their own religion here. This tower is about worship. So loved ones, if you are living like a nimrod and you are rebelling against God and you're blatantly disobeying what you know to be our God's commands, then you are guilty of idolatry. Because every human being will always worship something or someone. You can never not worship that's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. God created every human soul. Yes, that includes you as a responsible worshiper so that you might love him and enjoy him forever. So whenever you refuse to obey God, you're actually serving someone or something other than your creator. And notice how pride always goes with false religion They say, let us make a name for ourselves. So don't don't miss this. Worship is always tied to your identity. The human soul always roots its identity in the object of its worship. So when you disconnect your worship from God, you're always going to seek your identity then in the new object of your worship. Worship. This is the essence of pride. Pride sinfully seeks approval or identity outside of the Lord. Pride says, I'm going to empower myself with the approval of others so that I can live independent of God. So we wear what we wear. We drive what we drive. We preach how we preach just to be noticed, just to be approved by others. Friends, don't be deceived, please. Don't be deceived by sin's proud lies that you truly think that you can build a kingdom that will withstand the severe mercy of God. We're going into a Christmas season, and the Christmas season in our country, and our culture, is, is driven by consumerism. So, so ask yourself honestly, Am I purchasing this item or am I pursuing this promotion just so that others would think better of me? Am I I performing this service just so that others would think better than me? Because underneath all that pomp and pride, every man-made kingdom is ruled by fear, which is simply seeking security outside of the Lord. Verse 4 makes this clear. Come, let us build ourselves a city. That's the desire for security. (laughs) Lest we be dispersed and find ourselves all alone away from one another. That's the voice of fear. Anytime you allow fear or a love for security or to control your life, Rather than your love for God and your love for others, then you're building your own kingdom that God will mercifully tear down until you fix the anchor of your soul firm and secure in the finished work of Jesus. Now, church, if you're like me, you wrestle, I do, with this sin of fear and its Siamese twin that we call control. But Jesus died, and Jesus rose again to set us free from this nimrod fear. The saving grace of God has rescued us, church from sin's judgment. So now we have nothing to fear. God has not given his church a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. Our security church is found in God's eternal adoption of our soul. Oh, Lord, please deliver us from our me-sized kingdoms, which are ruled by idolatry and pride and fear. And then right on cue in verses 5 to 7, we see the kingdom of man being restrained by the mercy of God. While people can never reach God on their own, God mercifully lowers himself to come down to us. Now, now verse 5 is actually quite humorous, really. Because the only part of their building that actually reached the heavens was their sin. (laughs) In fact, the language of the Lord having to come down and see the city and the tower is quite entertaining. Well, let's see here. Um, I've heard that Nimrod and his kingdom are building some tower. Oh, there it is. How cute. Now I can finally see this man-sized project with Adam's sons have built. And so God says to himself in verse 6, Behold, they're one people. They all have one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Now, do not misunderstand verse 6. God is not threatened by the power of their cooperation. No, no, no. God is not threatened. God is dismayed. God sees here that the evil in man's heart is so wicked that if it's left unchecked, the human race will go on to undertake even more spectacular sins and deeds of evil in their defiance against him. And so God mercifully determines in verse 7 to confuse their language, thereby dismantling their confederacy against him. God doesn't judge them with a flood or with a fire but with miraculous frustration in the minds and the tongues of the people. Can you imagine the confusion in that moment? <laughs> different people all of a sudden start speaking different languages while they're working together to build this center of worship. Pass me another brick, please. Habla espanol. Sprechen die Deutsch. Pa That's the extent of my language right there church, do you see the mercy? Do you see the mercy in God's response? He was mercifully tearing down the kingdom that sin was building, all so that his people would actually obey the commands to disperse all over the world. Truly, this is an account of ironic reversal. The kingdom of man is reversed to accomplish God's plan. Verses 8 and 9 reveal that the Lord did exactly what they were trying to avoid in all their fear. The location of unity now becomes the place for scattering. Their attempts at making a name for themselves gets renamed as Babel in verse 9, which means confusion and, for, and will forever represent the folly of fear and false worship and pride. But all of this mercifully accomplishes God's plan, for through the languages, different nations will be formed, from which Israel could be chosen as God's nation among all the nations. Through this severe mercy of language, pride would be destroyed on the earth, evil would be restrained in the world. Through the spread of the different tongues and people groups around the world, the glory of Christ will be more greatly magnified forever. Read Revelation when people from every tribe and every language and every nation and every tongue will praise Jesus for their salvation. So let's not be careful, let's be careful not to miss the point. God mercifully tears down any kingdom that our sin is building, all for the greater sake of His glory and His kingdom. No human kingdom can ever withstand God's authority. No amount of false religion, no amount of pride or fear can ever withstand the assault of God's severe mercy towards you. So then, here's my encouragement for all of us today. Come. Oh, church, come. Let us build God's kingdom, by faith. If you didn't already notice the phrase, come, let us, it was repeated three times in the verses we read in Genesis 11. In verse 3 and in verse 4, the people are urging each other towards proud, fearful idolatry. Come, let us worship ourselves. Come, let us build our own kingdom. Come, let's make sure people remember us. But then in contrast, we see God himself in verse 7 saying, Come, let us go down. You see, every single person here today struggles with these sins of idolatry, false worship, and fear, and pride. Not one of us is exempt from Nimrod's strong temptations. And that's why Jesus came down. That's why Jesus added humanity to his nature. So that he could die the death that we deserved. So that he could give his life and set us free from sin's slavery. After all, the rest of Genesis 11 is the family history of Shem's descendants all the way down to Abraham. Abraham which gets repeated verbatim in Luke chapter 3 in the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. So don't miss this, church. All the way back in Genesis chapter 11, God was planning for the arrival of the Messiah. God was planning for Jesus. So if there's any rebellious Nimrods among us this morning, let me remind you graciously of God's invitation to you. For God says this in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, that means though your sins are really, really, really bad, they shall be as white as snow. Though your sins are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. In other words, come and submit to my kingdom rule. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. Rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then in the very last chapter of our Bibles, the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Dear Nimrods, Stop trying to make your own name for yourself in this world. Stop trying to build your own kingdom. Stop trying to secure your own life. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Worship Jesus only. He will satisfy your soul's thirsty desires. Come to Jesus and believe. And Christian, just a quick word for us. Believers this morning, we must learn from Babylon's sins. God has also given us a mandate, has he not? To go and make disciples, to build his kingdom among all the people of the world. We have now received the Holy Spirit that has made us one again through Christ So let's not be found clustering up together in our churches, clustering up together in our church houses so that we can just build for ourselves our own secure kingdoms that are more about our glory than God's glory. That must not be. God refuses to share his glory with anyone. So let's come to Jesus Let's repent of our pride, let's repent of our fear, let's repent of our false worship, and let's believe that Jesus is King. He's Lord. And when you believe that Jesus is as good as He is, you will obey Him. And whenever you obey Jesus' commands, you will be joyfully building His kingdom for the eternal praise of His name. Let's pray. So, Father, we just praise you and thank you that you are a God that not only rules and reigns over all, you rule and reign over nations and world history. You're you're a God who no earthly dictator can threaten or dethrone. Father, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet in all of your power and in all of your majesty, you are a God who draws near to sinners and you are a God who forgives our sins. You are a God who takes our crimson red sins and washes them away that we would be whiter than snow if only we would come. So Father, please come down to us And show us your glory and move our eyes away from the glitter of our self-reliance and the glitter and the sparkle of our self-worship and cause us to be truly satisfied in worshiping you. And together your church would say, amen.